Friends, it's great to be with you today. We're in the middle of a crucial season, and I don't mean the AFL one, although that's important, except that the Hawks aren't winning. And I don't mean the spring season, although we've been looking forward to that, but I mean the COVID season, a season with heaps of challenges. And with every challenge, there's an opportunity. It's a season and a time when crucial questions are being asked and inquiries being undertaken. It's a time of great opportunity for followers of Jesus and for churches. Crucial questions need thoughtful responses. And one of the most crucial ever asked was by Jesus to his disciples when he said, what's the latest? Who do people say that I am? And then he went on to ask, and who do you say that I am? You know, ever since Jesus arrived on earth, opinions about him have been divided. And uh, they were then and they are still now. At times his family thought he was mad and even mentally unstable. In fact, sometimes they seemed embarrassed by the things that he said or did. The religious leaders saw him as a threat and thought he was possessed by a demon. But hundreds of people flocked to see him and hear him and seek help from him. They couldn't get enough of him. Evil spirits kept shouting out that he was the son of God. Today, whether we follow Jesus all our lives or whether we know very little about him, our answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, will have a huge impact on both our present and our future and could also help us deal with our past. This season has seen more Australians exploring this question as well. And research to hand this past month identifies that in this time, more Aussies are searching about where to turn to respond helpfully to life at the moment. The question could be phrased, is God, is Jesus a bystander when life throws up challenges? Or could he be a game changer? What do you reckon? In normal day-to-day life, whatever that is now, There are some who get involved in times of crisis and challenge, but there are also many who don't. We all like to think we would nobly halt harm and boldly articulate what is right. But research shows that most people tend to struggle with the decision to get involved. People get caught up in an internal debate over whether helping out is their responsibility. Others worry about misjudging an unclear situation and consequently embarrassing themselves. Another major obstacle to intervention is a phenomenon called diffusion of responsibility. In other words, if several people are witnessing the questionable situation, all individuals present are much less likely to step out and help because each believes someone else from the group will do so. And in still other cases, the person or people witnessing the situation believes the victim is in some way responsible for the situation and is now receiving what should have been expected. The question Jesus posed to his disciples was, who do you say that I am? Today, let's take a look and immerse ourselves for a few minutes in three stories that could help us answer that question. You can read these stories in Matthew 8 and 9, Mark 5 and Luke 8. And I'm going to share the stories In the first person. Story number one. Here we go. Life has been hell for me. Somehow 
my life had been overtaken by forces that pressured me to do incredibly weird and socially unacceptable things, including going around naked. There was the smell of death about my life. In fact, I lived in a graveyard. People didn't understand me. They wanted nothing to do with me and longed for me to be out of the picture. On occasions to try and deal with me, they treated me like a captured animal and bound me with chains, hand and foot. But the forces in me gave me superhuman strength and and I would break the shackles. To get relief, I would try and cut myself with stones. People were scared of me and would avoid me at all costs. They thought I was mad and dangerous, and I probably was. One afternoon, a, a guy arrived by boat from the other side of the lake. The forces inside me were on high alert. I could sense there was a showdown brewing. It was like I was thrust towards this guy, whom I now know was Jesus. In fact, that's what came out of my mouth as I ran towards him. The voices from inside prompted me to yell, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. You see, already Jesus had commanded the evil spirit within me to come out. How much of my torment was real and how much was imaginary didn't matter. What mattered is that I needed deliverance. Jesus didn't avoid me or turn away or ignore me. Rather, he weighed right in and his authority took over. The forces inside had to do what he said. And although I don't understand it, somehow he set me free and those demons left me and caused 2,000 pigs to stampede down into the lake and drown. But I was free, free at last. My disordered body and... uh, tormented mind were at peace. The whole episode caused an uproar among the pig herders. Word spread and soon people arrived and couldn't believe that I was relaxed rather than agitated, sitting rather than running around, clothed rather than naked, interacting well with people and at peace. They didn't understand and felt anxious and afraid. Their routine and comfort had been disturbed, so they pleaded with Jesus to get out of the area. I wanted to go with him. But he said no. He told me instead to go home and share the story of what Jesus had done in my life. I would have loved to have gone with him, but I obeyed. What followed was quite remarkable. I got to share the story of how Jesus changed the game for me in a big way. I got to share it with people in 10 towns, 10 very specially connected towns whose population was predominantly Greek and with heaps of Greek gods. I became a living, walking, breathing, unmistakable, unanswerable demonstration of what Jesus can do in a person's life. I wasn't a basket case. I became the first witness to a Gentile world of what Jesus can do. And I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't give up or walk away or watch from a distance or warn people not to come near me. He changed my game. Story number two. And there'll be a third story inserted in the middle of this second story. My name is Jairus. 
and I've been a leader of the Jewish church for years, the administrative head, if you like, the president of the board of elders who ensured the good management of things in the synagogue. I was a well-respected leader in the community. My girl, she's 12, and just on the threshold of womanhood. But still, my little girl, she was really sick. She was dying, and I was desperate. You know, Jesus and I hadn't really been on the same page. In fact, I didn't want much to do with him. He was a heretic as far as I was concerned. Along with others from the synagogue, I saw him as disruptive and a rule breaker. Yet there was something really authentic about him. The way he cared, the way he spoke, the way he taught, the way he lived. You couldn't help but be curious. But then when my girl... My little girl was so sick, I realised that desperate people do desperate things. Despite what others might think, despite my prejudice, my pride, my dignity, I went to find Jesus. There was a huge crowd around him, but I pushed through the crowd. People were surprised to see me there, but I didn't care. I needed help and I threw myself at Jesus' feet and begged for him to come and help my little girl. He agreed. And we headed off together. Others followed. He, he didn't seem to be in a hurry, but walking with him, I felt encouraged and strangely hopeful. Then all of a sudden he stopped and he, he looked around and he asked the crowd, who touched me? I thought to myself, are you kidding? There's crowds of people. In fact, Jesus' followers said out loud what I was thinking. But Jesus waited and I waited. He looked around to see who would own up. I couldn't believe what happened next. I saw a woman coming forward, a woman who'd been excluded from temple worship because of her physical condition. I felt for her but didn't know what to do to help. Poor lady, She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. People knew she'd tried a range of remedies and spent her entire savings on doctors, but no one could help. She kept getting worse. But I'll let the lady tell her story. Story number three, and then I'll finish mine. Story number three. The bleeding wouldn't stop. It was so embarrassing. I couldn't go out without wondering whether I would flood. I was always so tired and drained of energy. People got to know and they'd avoid me and and I knew that sometimes I smelt. I wanted help and I tried to get it, but nothing worked long term. I believed in God and wondered why this was happening to me. My condition meant that I was not able to go to the temple and I didn't even want to go to the synagogue. I knew the Jewish laws saw me as unclean. I felt like an outcast and a basket case. I'd heard about Jesus and desperate people do desperate things. I hoped no one would notice as I pressed through the crowd. I wanted to just touch Jesus' clothes with the cry of my heart for his help. When I did, something changed. And immediately I knew the bleeding had stopped. But then I froze 
as Jesus stopped and turned around and asked, Who touched me? When with trepidation I finally owned up that it was me, he spoke so beautifully and caringly. It was so encouraging to hear him affirm the tiny seed of faith that I had and that that had been helpful in me having the game changed for me forever. It's Jairus back again. I was gobsmacked with what had just happened for this lady, only to be greeted with the news that in the meantime my daughter, my little girl, had died. I was urged not to trouble Jesus anymore. He overheard what was being said and interjected with, Don't be afraid, Jairus. Trust me. Could I? I wanted to, and especially after what I'd just witnessed. At this point, he stopped the crowd following him and proceeded with me and three of his followers. And when we got home, there was so much crying and wailing accompanied by flute playing. Being able to give full vent to sadness and grief as healthy and those who'd gathered had already started. To hear this and to know that my girl had died was heartbreaking. But somehow I kept hoping and trusting as Jesus declared that my daughter was sleeping and not gone forever. (laughs) My relatives and the mourners laughed at him. But he was not deterred. With tenderness and with an authority that was unmistakable, he asked everyone to leave except me and my wife and the three disciples. We went into the room where my girl was lying. Jesus reached down, took her by the hand, said to her, Little girl, come, get up. He helped her to her feet and she began to walk. People were stunned. I was stunned and overjoyed. We hugged our little girl, hugged a long time until Jesus broke in and said, find her something to eat. She'll be hungry. You know, Jesus could have wiped me. He could have stood back and said, Bad luck, mate. You kicked me out of the synagogue. Why should I help you? But instead, he changed my game. He drew faith out of me. He helped me see things from his perspective and draw on his resources and and live into his purposes. As I reflected later, I couldn't help but wonder at the despair and the distress of the mourners and the serenity and the hopefulness of Jesus. I also didn't initially understand why Jesus would not want us to broadcast what had happened. But I think it was because people would misunderstand the nature of his kingdom. Was, is Jesus simply a good guy or God? Is he a rule breaker or a rule maker? Is he a storyteller or a life shaper or both? Is he a bystander or a game changer? He's no bystander. He chose to immerse himself in the lives of human beings. He came to live among people. He came to apply the resources of heaven to the needs of people. His welcome to people and his love for people disarmed them, roused their curiosity, sparked their hope and drew out their faith. 
Every page of every gospel has stories of Jesus being a game changer in the lives of people and families. You know, in sport, a game changing moment is when something extra special happens. When something out of the box is done and it sends the game in a different direction. That's what Jesus has done and can do in the lives of people, whatever their situation. And when Jesus changes the game, he's committed to it being more than for a moment or an hour or a day. He wants it to be a lifelong, fruitful, growing experience in relationship with him. These three stories leave me with some questions. For example, we only have details of Jesus raising three people who'd only recently died. Why not more? Or another question. What about people who weren't or aren't cured today? Friends, Jesus didn't come as a one-man liberation movement or a lone ranger medical centre. These amazing things were signs of a revolution, rumours of another world, of a real and lifelong healing that Jesus would accomplish through his death and resurrection. And behind the intense dramas of each story lies a bigger picture of Jesus on his way to confront evil at its very heart. He'll confront death itself and defeat it in a way as surprising as these three stories. Some ingredients for game-changing in a person's life or a family's life or a church's life or a community's life include an encounter with Jesus, vulnerability to acknowledge need and seek help, some faith in Jesus, even a tiny bit, and sometimes even by some friends on your behalf, an ongoing daily walking with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him and working with him. You know, whenever Jesus is at home in a person's life, whenever he's present, the power of God is there to help bring life change to people and to populate earth with heaven's resources. Friends, whatever your situation or your story today or whatever the stories of those whom you will encounter every day, Jesus came to earth to be God with us and to give us life. Is there anything stopping you drawing on him and his resources to see ongoing game changing for you and through you into the lives of others? You know, there are people in our streets and neighbourhoods who long to encounter someone who can encourage, who can come alongside with hope, who can go together with them to ask Jesus for help. And friends, followers of Jesus indwelt by the Spirit of God, are empowered to represent Jesus in neighbourhoods and shopping centres and school or university campuses or work sites or offices or at sporting clubs. This is a great time for the church to be the church rather than focusing primarily on going to church. This is a great time to extend the welcome of God to everyone we meet. This is a great time to express God's care and hope for people, whatever their situation. Would you join me today in a prayer? And this little prayer invites Jesus to be a game changer in our lives, not just a bystander, but a game changer, and through us into the lives of others. Why not echo this prayer in your heart as we pray?
Lord Jesus, please help me today. Like you helped others in the first century and in every century and in every crisis season since. Please help me to trust my life and my needs to you. And please help me to be a channel of your love and grace and hope and help to others. Thank you that you are no bystander. You're a game changer. Amen.